changing your view of who you are, changing your identity, letting go of your attachment of who you think you're supposed to be, what you've decided for yourself, and transforming the direction of your life can be very intimidating. But that also is the moment when everything is open to you because you could really start in any new direction. Hey everybody, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 234 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I am chatting with Heather Anderson. She is the founder of New York Pilates, a New York-based Pilates studio that I'd be remiss if I didn't say I got hooked on during my last cycle of marathon training. For our chat, Heather talks to me about what life was like before she founded New York Pilates in 2013. She was at one time a professional ballet dancer, although she's a little hesitant to say that, and got to a point where she was navigating a recurring ankle injury that led her to reformer-based exercising. And that is truly when she found her calling. Fast forward a few years in 2013, Anderson launched New York Pilates and basically overnight, the studio already was selling out. She talks today about so many lessons she had starting a business in New York City with literally no background in business. What it was like to rent spaces, hire people, do the best she could with what she had when she didn't have the funds to do things like buy proper machines. I mean, so many really interesting insights here from what she claims to be the accidental entrepreneur. Heather also opens up about what it was like for her and her partner, Brian, navigating the COVID pandemic and how they were able to keep things afloat despite really difficult times. Here in New York City, fitness studios were closed for over a year. And as Heather says, it was something they could have never prepared for. If there's one thing that's a through line in this conversation, it's that opportunity is truly everywhere and you've got to trust your gut. Heather also offers up some really great takeaways when it comes to communicating effectively with your partner and what she calls skilling up, a muscle that she had to flex for sure (laughs) during the pandemic. Loved being able to sit down in the studio and record this with Heather and Like I said, I have a newfound appreciation for New York Pilates. I've never been the Pilates type until I walked into this studio and I found it to be a really great way to supplement a lot of my marathon training the last go around. So a little reminder for me is that you can always choose to try something new and you may even be lucky enough to love it. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And also link in the show notes for the goal setting workshop we are hosting at the beginning of 2023. 
would love to see you there. And with that, let's get to it. Let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Heather Anderson. She's the founder of New York Pilates. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so happy to be here, Emily. I'm so happy to be here too with you. I'm going to be, let's just like start this right off the bat by getting into it. I never liked Pilates until I took New York Pilates. That makes me so happy. My immediate gesture is I just like put my two hands over my heart. It just makes me so happy. Because I love Pilates so much, yeah. and I'm so happy to be able to give the, that thing that I love so much to other people and have them love it as much as I do. Yeah. I was just thinking here as I sat down with you, like if I've had anyone else that has a Pilates background on the show, I don't think that I have. I guess the closest that I have had was really early on, like one of the first 10 episodes was Sadie Lincoln. And oh my God, she's like a legacy friend of mine now. I have like such a soft spot because it was one of those things where the show was, like I said, first 10 episodes, like baby podcast. And she was in New York doing media and she gave me some of her time just because we had like an existing relationship. And in my head, I was like, you totally didn't need to do that. But like, that's like one of those really special moments that I'll always reflect on now. And we've since worked together in different ways. And it's just like, what a kind thing to do back to this conversation. New York Pilates. So why don't, before we really like dive in and get to know Heather, why don't you just give us like an overview of what New York Pilates is for those that may not know? So New York Pilates is a reformer-based Pilates studio in New York City and the Hamptons. We have four locations in New York City and three in the Hamptons. And it's a kick-ass workout that is rooted in the technique of Pilates, which gives you your alignment and your mindfulness, but is also a really great workout. And it's my favorite thing. (laughs) (laughs) Period. So, okay. For someone who is like truly a Pilates newbie, why is Pilates something that is beneficial to incorporate into your routine? Pilates is such a great addition to any workout regimen if you're into biking or running or things that are a heavier lift, but it also can be a standalone fitness regimen by itself. It's very alignment-based and the exercises are very targeted and it is a strength training workout. Um, It's resistance-based with springs. And the reason that A lot of people will add it to another workout routine or why it's a great standalone as well is because it has that strength training component. You can advance the exercises if you're stronger. It's extremely accessible and can be modified for people who are deconditioned or new to fitness. And so it really can span a wide range. And people use it a lot of times for rehab, but we really use it as taking your what could be rehab exercises adding load, doing them on both sides. If you ever went to physical therapy, you'll notice you might get really strong on one side and not on the other. So this is, it's very even from side to side and it's extremely targeted. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, for me, the first time I got into like any sort of a Pilates routine, I was going every Wednesday during my last marathon training cycle. And I just loved, A, it was like something for me to do 
on Wednesday nights that didn't involve me going to the bar. Although like I would be remiss if I didn't say that sometimes if I'd meet a friend at your Pilates that we wouldn't go get a glass of wine after. Uh, But I loved that it was like another thing for me to do and that it did just really feel like, okay, this is like a nice break that for 45 minutes, I'm going to turn my mind off. Someone else is going to tell me what to do. And as someone who in previous marathon training cycles had issues with core, I actually strained my psoas a couple of years ago. This felt like I was really like giving my body a gift. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I think it's so good as cross training for that exact reason because most people's especially more cardio based fitness regimens don't really include core work and one of the biggest benefits of Pilates is that it stabilizes, it strengthens your core. And the reason that's important is it helps to stabilize your spine, your SI joints that's in your pelvis. And, um, to support your back. And those are the places that people get injured most commonly Mm. because of either overuse or imbalance. And this kind of core work by just stabilizing everything, getting you really strong through your core, then you don't end up with those instabilities that lead to just being out of balance that then leads to an injury. Right, right. Yeah. And I think that that was something else that I found really interesting through my time like doing more Pilates was that a lot of those imbalances were more exposed than in some of the other modalities that I was doing regularly. So I may have had a hunch that my right side was weaker than my left side, which is comical because I'm right handed. But it wasn't until I would go to Pilates and try to do the same movements on each side and realizing that I'm getting fatigued on the right so much sooner that I realized then with that intel that I could come home and do supplemental exercises, supplemental strength training to help work on some of those discrepancies because I'm getting older. And let me tell you, I think I ran like eight or nine marathons and never had an injury. But these last two or three, I am like, God, we are, we are not a spring chicken anymore. We are not a spring chicken. But, okay, so now that we have some intel on NYP, let's talk a little bit about the road to get here. Now, you did not from a young age have aspirations to found a Pilates studio. You did have aspirations, however, to be a dancer. So talk to us a little bit about how you first got into dance and where you were. So I grew up in Oklahoma City and I grew up dancing there. Um, At the time was Ballet Oklahoma and now it's Oklahoma City Ballet. And I was a very serious little baby ballerina. And um, The way that Pilates comes into this is that we did Pilates as cross-training. So from kind of a young age, I did Pilates as cross-training. And I didn't necessarily realize that this was an unusual circumstance. I don't think I really identified that until I was maybe in my early 20s, maybe like 21. And I was like, yeah, of course, I'm doing Pilates. And my friends were like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what that is, right? So um, that definitely was my intro. And I remember as a dancer, um, I used to work the front desk at Steps on Broadway so I could take, you know, $3 ballet classes. And I remember I was doing my Pilates training at the same time and standing at the desk and watching people in the room. And as I was doing my Pilates training, the way that it changed my vision for being able to see people's alignment and identify my own alignment. And I remember watching people in the room taking class and being like, oh my God, everyone is doing everything wrong. 
<laughs> like for the first time I could see, you know, where people's neutral pelvis was, where how their spine should be aligned and all of those things. And I found it so transformative. I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I think over the years sharing that with people who are in other um who have other fitness passions besides dance, of course, and with people who just use it in their everyday life. For instance, when you start your Pilates practice, something that might happen to you is you'll be walking down the street and you'll be like, whoa, I'm walking with my pelvis tucked under or I'm walking with my back really arched or I haven't engaged my abs literally ever walking down the street holding a heavy bag or I'm hunched over to one side. And it helps you to really build Mm self-awareness for where your body is in space, which helps you have much healthier routines and habits and then to strengthen those. And to what you were saying earlier about how you feel the difference between one side and the other, one of the things that does that really well with Pilates is – Um, a unilateral exercise, which means you do an exercise with just one arm or just one leg. So you do it on one side and then you do it on the other side so that you're really able to target and strengthen the muscles on just that side. Because so many of the exercises we do in life, you do with both arms or with both legs. And so the stronger side will compensate and you never identify that you have a little bit of an imbalance. Right, right. Okay. So when you talk about being a ballet dancer, like How excellent of a ballet dancer were we? I would consider myself to be um, a serious pre-professional. Okay. What's that look like? And (laughs) I'm laughing because um, Brian is going to be like, no, Brian is my husband. Brian is going to listen to this and be like, oh, babe, you are fully a professional. Um, But that (laughs) I think that goes back to, you know, how we're. I'll speak for myself. I won't say we. I'll speak for myself. Very, very hard on myself, especially coming out of a career like that Mm -hmm. where um, absolute perfection is the only option. Yeah. But I, you know, I'll say my my claim to fame is I did the American Ballet Theater um, New York summer program when I was 15 and lived in the city when I was 15 for six weeks and did that program, which was very competitive to get into and you know danced with some operas and you know little things here and there I would say that probably for myself as I've thought about this over the years one of my biggest challenges probably was one being self-critical but two being just kind of a wild card I mean I for instance, I cut my hair really short and I have tattoos. And those are things that you don't do if you are like really planning on being a serious ballet dancer. It's actually a lot more flexible and less rigid than it was 15, 20 years ago. Right. But um, very a rigid environment. Yeah. I also had an artistic director tell me that I had to lose weight. And I was just like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm a feminist. I'm going to gain five pounds. And I think that although I don't have any, I don't have any, (laughs) I'm not upset that that was my response. Yeah. That was not the right response for the environment. Right. You know, it's so interesting as well, because do you think that the things like getting tattoos and I mean, insert other acts of rebellion, the weight gain, that was kind of you being like, maybe this isn't really like what I truly want to invest in. Totally. I, a, a thousand percent. I love, love, love ballet and I love the practice. And um, I took ballet class for years. I actually 
didn't during the, the pandemic just because you couldn't. And also I'm now in Montauk more full time. But I take ballet bar online all the time. All like the I time. did it two days ago. <laughs> I, you know, I love it. So, but I totally agree with what you're saying that when I think about myself being in that kind of a rigid environment, it's absolutely not the right fit. Yeah. And I think I would have been very unhappy if I had managed to be successful enough to to be in that environment. It's interesting, though, because it's that sentiment that if you don't enjoy the journey, then what's the point of getting to the goals? Yeah. And that your goals can shift over time, right? Because I'm sure there was a point in your life that you were like, that's exactly what I want. Yeah. Like, that is why I'm working through to get into this competitive program at 15. When would you say that you started to understand that the goals that you had previously weren't your goals anymore? I would say there were two times. One, I had an ankle injury when I was um, 16 and was out of dance for like six months. What kind of ankle injury was it? I have a tear in um, a tiny tendon in the ankle, actually on both sides from point work. Okay. Um, it was an overuse injury. And actually that that thing where you feel pain and you're like, I'm going to work through the pain, right? Which is a terrible idea. So if anyone is listening to this and you have a weird injury and you're like, ooh, that hurts. You probably shouldn't do it. You should stop. Not me still running on my plantar fasciitis <laughs> foot, but continue. <laughs> right? Because that's how you get tendonitis that then ends up as a tear, right. which is um, what happened to me. And um, so I had to take fully time off for like six months. And I think at that moment, I was like, whoa, if this isn't my identity, who am I? Mm. Who am I going to be in the world? Mm -hmm. So definitely that moment. And then I was dancing again after that. And I would say maybe at like 20, I started doing gyrotonic training first, actually at 19. And then I started my Pilates certification when I was 21. But I, during that whole time, I was just like, who am I going to be? Where am I going to go? What am I interested in? Um, and I think when you have a very, when you're very attached to an identity, and I think this is common for anyone who has very serious goals, especially when you're young, changing your view of who you are, changing your identity, letting go of your attachment of who you think you're supposed to be, what you've decided for yourself and transforming the direction of your life can be very intimidating. And it's a bit unmooring. You're not sure who you are, where you're going. You feel like you're floating in space. But that also is the moment when everything is open to you because you could really start in any new direction. Right. And what an empowering perspective on that, right? Because it can be truly difficult as you're getting at this place where you are so wrapped up in being a, let's say like being an entrepreneur or being, uh, I mentioned running or being a ballet dancer or being a mom or insert other identifier, right? And it can be so challenging to be like, well, if I'm not that thing anymore, then what, I, what am I, right? And so for you, you to say like, oh, but how empowering, like for you to see the opportunity there, that's really refreshing because I think that that perspective is more often the difficult one to take on in those circumstances. I mean, I think the thing that's most difficult about that like moment of transition is that you have so many options open to you. You're, you're not like set in any one direction that it can 
I think the thing that can be troubling actually is almost the decision fatigue of having every option open. Like mm. you could literally do anything. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And for you though, to lean into uh, the two different modalities you mentioned, before we we keep going, why don't you tell them what the gyrotonic training is? <laughs> so gyrotonic is a movement mo- modality that I would say is like relatively adjacent to Pilates. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very popular in the dance community. If you've ever taken like maybe an acro yoga class, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so something that is like very flexible, it's like moves you into like very large ranges of motion. Okay. Um, but then it's on a machine. Got it. So that it's adjacent to Pilates because it's on a machine. It's fun for someone who wants to do something kind of weird. But what I noticed <laughs> as an instru- when as I started teaching it when I was trying to teach this to people who were let's say not dancers, it was really hard for them to kind of like feel where the exercise is supposed to be. So later down the road, I identified that as it's very challenging to find where your stability is. So that's your core work. That's your center. That's like how you find yourself grounded. And then the exercises, because they're in such large ranges of motion, it's hard to like feel the weight, if that makes sense. So something that's great about Pilates is that the exercises are there. A lot of them are closed chain, which means you're only moving across one joint at a time, which allows you to really find stability and move that work into a single muscle group. Mm-hmm. So it's very directed, right, right? right? Versus transferring the load over multiple joints. And then it's hard to stabilize and figure out where you're supposed to, quote, like feel it. In your uh, kind of transition into teaching both of those modalities, I feel as though when you you were a little bit like iffy about your identity. It's kind of like you were shifting into something that was in a similar vein, right? Absolutely. And so how did you find that? Did you feel a little bit of comfort in that transition then? I think I really gravitated to the technicality of it, right? And the precision. Mm -hmm. And those are things that I loved about ballet. And that's something I really love about Pilates is – alignment, precision, good technique. And then um, beyond that, I think the joy of sharing that with someone who hasn't had a modality to learn that skill through, Mm. right? You can use it as you use this technique to teach people skills that they can use both in this exercise, but also in life in general to be like more precise to be able to feel themselves. There's this word I love called proprioception, which is your ability to feel your own body. And it's that idea of feeling your own body, understanding where you are. You don't need a mirror or the ground or like something external to help you find your alignment. You can feel it within your own body. And then from there, get really strong in excellent, beautiful alignment. And I I just love that. I love what it does for my own body and how I've seen that transform myself and my injuries and how it helps people transform their own injuries and get really strong. And it's very special. Yeah. And bigger than body, right? I mean, we're talking about that level of intuition as well that kind of crosses the mind-body connection. Absolutely. It becomes very mindful because, I mean, the basically what makes something 
a mindful activity is requiring your full attention and also that sort of inward gaze. And that's something I love about this practice is it requires your full attention, mm -hmm. you're, you know, and you're looking internally, feeling from the inside. Are my hips level? Are my ribs closed? Am I using my abs? Are my shoulders down, right? All of those things. And when you combine them, it becomes a very mindful activity, um, which gives you all of the benefits of meditating, for instance. And I also love that it sort of has intrinsically, anything that is mindful intrinsically has a spiritualism to it, but without any kind of like external ideas about, there's no religion, right? right? It's just like, it is spiritual because you have full attention to yourself and you're connected to your breath. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think those things all in combination and then being able to, to give that to other people and walk them down that road, I think is really special. So on that note, being able to give it to other people, I'm sure when you started teaching, were you thinking I'm going to make a career of this or where were you at at that point? I think initially I was so excited by, you know, coming from a, a long a long history already of movement. By the time I was, you know, 2021, 20, I had been moving in a basically professional capacity since I was like, you know, 12. Right. So being able to apply these concepts was really eye-opening for me and I think really transformative. And I was just so excited to figure out how to communicate that to someone who I'm, I'm thinking specifically about this one student that I used to teach where she had been extremely deconditioned and had been on a personal transformation journey. And I was, of course, engaged in this journey in like a very physical capacity, but it was really beautiful to watch me trying to teach her how to like engage her abs, for instance. Mm -hmm. Mind-blowing new concept in life for this person who was like over 30. And but also how that in that physical journey mirrored the internal work that she was doing and transforming her life in so many other ways. Right. Like it was bigger for her. The happiness was way bigger than, you know, just losing weight. Totally. And I think that that is the case for so many people who go on a journey like this. Mm -hmm. It's like when you start addressing your physical body, that has a massive effect on your mental state and your mind. Of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you start teaching and you think like, okay, I'm just really getting a lot of personal benefit out of this. Like you're just feeling really fulfilled in that. When does teaching uh, transfer into what else can I do with this? I had been teaching for about eight years when we opened New York, the first New York Pilates. And I would say that maybe after five or six years, there were – let me say that at the time, you could basically only take private sessions for Pilates mm. because that's how the industry was set up. There weren't – at the studio that I worked at, for instance, there were four reformers and we had like three classes a week. So it was very inaccessible from a price point standpoint. Mm -hmm. And also just booking, like the, the way that you booked, it was like complicated and cumbersome and there was just like a lot of friction. And I looked at that and I also, as I mentioned earlier, I always joke about this, that – None of my friends at my age at the time, I was uh, maybe 25, 26, 27. At that age, none of my friends really knew what Pilates was. And I would go out. I would be out with someone having a drink. They'd be like, oh, how's yoga? And I'd be like, 
Yoga is great. Thanks for asking. Yeah. But people, there just like wasn't the awareness of what it was. So those kind of two things in combination. And in my mind, I was like, I really, I personally just want to go take a Pilates class. And that wasn't really an option. Um, so I was like, I think, listen, I really want this. I think that other people will also want this. And that was kind of the root idea of starting New York Pilates in the first place. It was to take this beautiful work away from being a private one-on-one -on -one and put it into a classroom so a lot more people could do it. It was a lot more like cost-effective, a lot more accessible, both from an ease of booking standpoint and just, you know, paying for private sessions is not affordable five right. days a week for most people. So that was the initial concept. And then there's one other layer I always talk about that was part of what made me um, really want to open a studio, which is that the overall vibe of Pilates was very clinical. It was very physical therapy. Um, and as an athlete, I was like, I want to get my ass kicked. Like, I want to do something hard. Yeah. I want this to be hard and I want it to be fun. So that really taking what was very like clinical physical therapy approach, turning that into same concepts, but a workout. And then the final piece is um, it just like wasn't that cool. Yeah. <laughs> and me being me and Brian, my husband was a DJ and had a branding agency. And we were like, I don't understand this thing. I think it's so special and so inspiring. And I think it's very cool. But the way it's being um, delivered is really not cool. Mm -hmm. So how do we how do we change that? How do we bring it to a target of a younger audience? Not necessarily younger, but a target of a younger audience. Play great music. We added the lights and make it an awesome workout. So those that combination of things. It was really taking this work that I loved and turning it into really boutique fitness. This was pre-boutique fitness boom. So I was a bit lucky on the timing. Mm -hmm. But And I didn't even have that name for it. I didn't know that name existed at the time that we opened the first location or maybe it had just been coined about that time. Um, but the, all of those things put together is why I wanted to do it. It wasn't necessarily that I desperately needed to open a business. I think that if something like this had already existed, I would have been very happy to just go work there. And, but I feel like I saw the vision of what I thought should exist. And I was like, yeah, this, I need to make this happen. Yeah. And that, that's so funny. And it's, it's funny because we talked about Sadie at the top of this and she describes that feeling as transferring into warrior state. So mm. it's like all of a sudden you have this gut feeling, you know what you should be doing and you're quote unquote working, but that work doesn't always feel like work because it's so aligned with your passion and your purpose that you're just kind of off to the races, right? And so I love that for you. And it's funny to hear someone say that they kind of stumbled into entrepreneurship for lack of a better designation, right? Because you were so sure that this needed to exist that you thought to yourself, well, I guess I'm just going to figure everything else out along the yeah. way what would you say during that initial setup phase like way before you opened the doors so to speak was the most difficult part I mean I'll say first and foremost I don't have a business background and even when I started initially concepting it I you're, you're gonna die <laughs> so I'm dumb. ready I'm ready 
I'm going to die. I literally didn't have a credit score because I had always paid for everything in cash. I had no credit. Oh, you're one of those. I was one of those. And so when I started even like concepting this, I was like, oh, God, I mean, I have to sort a lot of stuff out. So I started building my the very first thing I did about two years before we actually opened is I had this idea kind of percolating in my mind and I started building my credit. So I even had any credit and I started concepting how it would work, how I would pull together the initial money. And, you know, it was a couple of years of just like kind of honestly brainstorming, concepting, writing notes. And then about the time that I was like, I'm doing this. This is happening right now. I remember telling Brian, I was like, I'm looking for spaces. And I think that he... He was like, oh, she's looking for spaces. And then when I turned up and had signed a lease, he was like, what is wrong with you? What are you talking about? You did that like now? And I was like, yeah, I told you I'm doing it right now. And he, you know, it was one of those, (laughs) we're we're business partners. He's half of New York Pilates. um, And I'm very grateful because we probably wouldn't have made it this far if he was not half of New York Pilates. It was that initial communication where learning with your business partner how you communicate with each other, how you make sure that the message was delivered when you think you're saying something to make sure that they heard the thing that you think you're saying. I think that was a very important first lesson. I had apparently not been clear at my level of (laughs) seriousness and like the timeline. I mean, you signed a lease. Also, I feel like we have to say that or we have to address this because people are probably listening and being like, hmm, how did you do that? When you talked about building your credit score, what did that even involve for you? Were you just like literally starting to use credit for the first time? Oh, yes. My initial foray into credit is that I got a $200 prepaid credit card because I literally had a credit score of zero. I didn't exist. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, last year I, or two years ago now, I've been in this apartment for a year and a half and I feel like the only time you need like really excellent credit is to your point when you're like trying to sign a lease or buy property. I mean, there are clearly other examples, but relevant to being in New York City, those are two big ones. And of course, for the first time in years, I learn that I have a credit card I forgot I had that had an automatic payment on it and my credit score two months before I'm going to finally be looking for a new apartment like takes a nosedive and because I missed paying this credit card for one month one month and my credit score went down like something near 100 points it was still like great but it wasn't like outstanding like it was before. And that is just like such a silly, arbitrary thing we have in our society. It's like gatekeeping people from going after the things that they're really excited about. Um, I digress. You sign a lease, which is massive, so massive. How long from signing the lease to uh, like this place is ready to go? I would say I think I signed that first lease in maybe April or May. And we were open for our initial privates and classes in September. Okay. It was a quick and dirty build. Brian helped me so much with building out the space, sourcing contractors, um, designing the space. And um, 
the initial concept had been reformer classes, but I actually couldn't afford all of the equipment. And so for our first year, we had mat classes and privates because that's what I could afford. And then after a year of operating, I was able to buy the rest of the equipment and we started reformer classes in 2014. 2014. You know, I love that though. I love that little <laughs> story because that's a really good example of like, if you want it bad enough, you're going to figure out, right? So you knew like where you wanted to go which was having the reformers, but that wasn't an option yet. So like, what's your plan B? I remember one of the first people I had on the show, he said something that has always stuck with me, which is if you don't have a plan B, then you don't have a plan. So when you signed that lease, it was like, I know what I want, but in order to get to what I want, I'm going to have to do this first. And that's a thing that I think a lot of people struggle with and is also a barrier to the reason why a lot of people don't start is because they're not ready truly to go after the ultimate goal or they're not ready truly to be okay with shifting the plan to help them get to ultimately where they want to be, but they can't get there right now. Totally. I also think for so many people who are starting something new or starting a business, it's really great to be incremental. So start with just one part and see how it lands. You want to make sure that people like it before you go to the next phase. Give it, give yourself uh, a situation where you can do some testing, some get some user feedback. Because I feel like so many people spend, they raise money, they spend millions of dollars on an idea. And when that finally hits the market, they didn't actually know that that's what people wanted yet. Mm. And I, I see people do that, and I think that if you can be more incremental and make sure you test and experiment, and because your plan B or your ultimate plan may end up being different than what you originally thought because you have to see what people want. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky that people did want reformer classes, but it did take a lot of um, testing and talking to people and getting um, reviews from students to finalize our format and you know we kept we're we still tweak all the time we take student feedback and we go to the teachers and we're like hey we want a little bit more of this or a little bit less of that or how do we address this need that we're hearing so you constantly are tweaking and adjusting and I think you know if I had gone if I had gone in with a completed format and starting classes and that didn't hit, you have to be ready to respond to the environment, respond to what people actually want. And I think that was a great thing about growing sort of organically the way that we did is that gave us time and space to experiment and test and hear from people what they wanted and um, really build, build the technique that we use now from a combination of what I see people need in their bodies with what people want to feel with what I see in terms of the results for people. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsors. First up, Future. What's the best workout program? Well, I would say that's one that is custom built for you. Future is a new workout experience that pairs you one-on-one with your own fitness coach. Your coach will map out a plan based on your goals with workouts delivered to your phone each and every week. 
future, your Apple Watch, and the app all pair seamlessly so you and your coach can track your progress, celebrate achievements, and keep you accountable every day. What I love working with my guy, Brandon, is that he knows when I've got travel on the docket, and then we can kind of work together to see what's the best way to form workouts depending on where I'm headed. So right now I am in Las Vegas. It has a great hotel gym and I was able to try and mix things up a little bit knowing that I have access here that I don't have at my home gym back in Brooklyn. Like I said, these programs are completely customized and it has been the most fun I've had working out in a long, long time. Get started right now with your first month of future for just $19 at tryfuture.com slash hurdle. Again, that's tryfuture.com slash hurdle. Your first 30 days are risk-free and you can cancel at any time for a full refund. Also, gotta give some love to my friends at Eight Sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer and the eight sleep pod cover is, let's call it the ultimate sleep machine. Consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues, decrease the risk of heart disease, lower blood pressure, and even reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. Yet still more than 30% of Americans struggle with sleep and feeling hot at night is one of the main causes of poor sleep. Everything changed for me when I got my eight sleep pod cover. Truly, now I get into my bed and I feel so comfortable knowing that I'm not gonna be doing one of those one leg in, one leg out things because I can't regulate my body temperature. Plus, in the winter right now, what I've been doing is cranking the heat up on my pod cover. So I get into my bed, I'm nice and warm. I'm not doing that running man that I used to do to try to feel the feelings in my toes. You totally know what I'm talking about. Anyway, now I feel as though I'm falling asleep in record time faster than I ever have before, thanks to my eight sleep pod three cover. You have to get in on the eight sleep game. Trust me, you will not turn back. Head on over to 8sleep.com slash hurdle to get $150 off the pod cover today. Again, that is 8sleep.com slash hurdle. something you're saying here, which is important to make sure that we address is like you did the training to have this expertise to know how to like, let's say, keep your person safe. So there becomes this necessity to blend your expertise and like your certifications and your background with listening to consumer feedback. And how can we mesh that together in a way that is responsible? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because so much of what people know about fitness is they want to feel it. And I use quotation marks always when I say that. You guys can't see that I'm saying feel <laughs> it with quotation marks. But it's that idea of sensation because it's hard for people to it's hard for people to understand that something is happening if they can't feel it. And one of the things that's a bit complicated about that is the more advanced you are, the more proprioception you have, the more ability you have to feel your body. So our most deconditioned person um, has the least connection between that muscle and their brain, right? Their nervous system, your ability to actually 
feel that muscle is diminished when you're deconditioned. And the stronger you get, you have more of an ability to actually feel it. So how do you make sure you're keeping someone who's deconditioned and the big, very beginning of their journey, both safe, but also satisfied by the experience and having, quote, felt something. And that's something we've spent a lot of time um, experimenting with, playing with, testing. And I think when you hit the nail on the head of that, um, for people, not it's so exciting because not only do they have uh, an engaged experience where they're like, yes, I want to come back and do that, but you as an instructor start to see their progress, mm-hmm. and that is so cool. Yeah, I mean, you're you're that's me, right? And I I think for so many years I tried Pilates, like I would dabble in it and I would go, and as a like. I won't even say recovering because it still exists in my life, like a cardio junkie. I would go to Pilates and be like, okay, that was cool. But like you walk out and your hair is still fine, usually more often than not. And like you can go to drinks and you're like, shit, I didn't like I didn't get what I needed out of that without the awareness that you could get what you need. But you just need to kind of work on that word that we keep going back to back to here, that awareness, right, as you move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that is especially for people who come from like exactly like, like you're saying cardio junkie yeah. or um, fitness that tears your body down, mm-hmm. right? It's there's so much sensation that when you don't feel that you're like, well, did anything happen? Mm-hmm. But actually a lot happened. It was just, you know, a lot of it is your deeper muscles. Those muscles closer to the bone also have less nerve innervation. Like you, so you actually feel them less, but that doesn't mean that they're less muscle. Right. So those, those kinds of things. And, um, listen, I love breaking a sweat also. So there's nothing wrong with breaking a sweat. Absolutely. Totally. But you don't necessarily have to break a sweat in order to have a lot of benefit from a workout particularly if it's a strength training workout. Was there ever a time in those initial years where you questioned if this was going to work at all? Oh, my God. Yes. I would say at maybe the six-month mark, I was like, I made a major mistake. This is a problem. Like, how do I get out? Right. What'd you do? (laughs) Well, I um, that wasn't really an option, so... It just wasn't an option. So I was like, okay, the only way out is through. Yeah. And what a lesson, right? Like the only way through truly is through. Yeah. When you were like navigating the anxiety that came with the only way through is through mentality. How did you, how did you, how did you navigate that time period? Well, there are, there are so many things. There's so many things. I think for any small business that is bootstrapped and I feel like people don't talk about this a lot because most businesses, and it, this is a reasonable thing to do, so no shade, start with a lot more capital. Mm-hmm. And um, which, by the way, you should definitely start your business with capital if you're listening to this. I did this thing. It was not that great of an idea. You should start with capital. Um, but it is possible to do it without if you're completely bootstrapped and you don't have a nut to start with. Um your ca- managing your cash flow is the most important thing for being able to stay afloat as a business. And there is a lot of focus on high profit margin, but the most important thing to your business operating is cash flow because you need that cash to pay your rent and to pay your employees. And I think that definitely the most terrifying thing is when you start to take on staff and 
making sure that you can cover those people's payroll because you are responsible for them being able to pay their rent. And that is that was a heavy weight for me. I don't think I was emotionally prepared for how responsible I was for other people and their livelihood. That was a heavy weight. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely making sure you have that cash flow, even if your profit margin is lower, is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you're kind of bootstrapping it, I can't even imagine like how that must have weighed on you worrying about how you were going to pay your employees. Very serious. Yeah. I mean, and that's something I would never want to go back to a life where I was worried about covering payroll. We'll never go back there. And I think because of that, um, it's taught me to be conservative when that is not my natural nature. Yeah. We'll fast forward here a little bit for the sake of time. Talk to me about when you know that you're going to be okay in terms of like making it through that chapter. I would say sometime probably towards the end of 2014, we introduced, we were actually able to buy the reformers and started doing actual reformer classes in early 2014. And as soon as we did that, it just clicked. It was working. People wanted what we were selling. And I think I had this moment, especially coming from dance where listen, I, I'm obsessed with ballet, but like no one actually wants to go to ballet. <laughs> Very few people, <laughs> unless it's ABT, right? Like we all want to go see ABT or New York City Ballet. But like if you are making weird dance in Bushwick, very few people actually want to go to your performance, right? So coming from a world of making weird art, Selling something that people wanted to buy was very exhilarating. Yeah. And that that moment of being like, whoa, this is this is working. This is traction. People want what we're doing. That moment. And we also, I would say that combined with we started working with an analyst who helped us build out a forecast plan. And when we built the plan, I remember looking at the spreadsheet and being like, there's like probably no way this is going to happen. And then we followed the steps. We followed the plan. And at the end of the year, we were on target or exceeding the targets that we had built in the cash flow forecast or in the the business plan. And I remember looking at that and being like, whoa, I can see the future. <laughs> it's trending upward. <laughs> so exciting. That that was a very cool thing. And, you know, being a person that I didn't, I think I built my first spreadsheet after opening New York Pilates, right? Just like my background, who I am. And being able to engage with that as a tool to not just like see the future, but to create the future. Because you can go in there and you can play with scenarios until you hit a scenario that works. And then you're like, okay, those are the targets. How are we going to make that happen? Mm-hmm. And that is really empowering that you can through good planning, I know a shocker, guys, through good planning, you can change your future. Wow. Bold statement. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Okay. But even the best laid plans have hurdles. Fast forward to March 2020. Talk to us about what happened for New York Pilates during the pandemic. Well, it is no secret that all of fitness in New York City was closed for about a year and four months. Um, So we were effectively closed for over a year. And as you can imagine, that we were pretty fucked. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Totally. There's not really any way else to say it. Yeah. Um, so we did what we, we, those first few weeks, Brian and I were like, uh, what are we going to do? Yeah. We listened to a lot of economics podcasts, um, in particular planet money. I am a huge fan of, and what was great is that listening to economists talk about the economic impact of the closures, it wasn't politicized in the same way that it was from other news outlets. Mm. And so it gave us a really it was quite accurate, actually, vision of how things were going to play out from from calculating. This is a bit twisted. I'm sorry, guys. The co- like what the cost to the government is of a death. Mm-hmm. Right. And using I know it's very dark. I'm sorry. But learn hearing from economists about that, how they can only we can only close the economy for about three months completely before it no longer is economically viable, right? Those kinds of things. And so all the way back in the beginning, we were like, oh, well, this is definitely not two weeks then. This is at least three months. Right. There was no way that we could have guessed that fitness would be, for some reason, closed for a year. Longer. Plus, I would, nothing could have told us that because that was just weird and doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. So, but I think that, that that was really helpful. So once we once we realized this is not two weeks, this is at least three months, then we made a very hard decision, which was basically to turtle. Um, and that's a, a term that I adopted from Brian. It's a boxing term, which means you kind of like huddle in your shell and cover your head and be ready to take the punches, right? So that's what we did. We basically closed the business. We tried to stop all outflow of cash and just sit quiet as much as possible in order to um, preserve the business in order to be able to reopen. And um, adjacent to that, we started working on opening our online yeah, platform. Your, on, your online platform. So in doing that, were you still like p- paying the leases that you had? I will say that we were accruing debt towards the leases that right. we have. Yeah. And we made a tough decision to keep all of our leases. A lot of, I can't remember the amount, but at least 50% of fitness closed in New York City. Yeah. And the reason most of it closed is because if you're closed for over a year and a half, you are liable for all of that rent. Um, and we made the tough decision to keep our leases and negotiate and those were those were really tough conversations um, because our landlords didn't agree with our decision to keep our lease but also not move out (laughs) we would like all of it yeah Yeah. so we were like look look guys we're not moving out we've been a great tenant we've been here for in some cases four five six years we've always paid you rent on time these are extenuating circumstances you're not going to get another tenant because New York City is closed and we're going to stay here and we're going to reopen. And as soon as there's a, the moratorium on rent is over, then we will negotiate. So that's what we did. We came to settlements with all of our landlords. But, you know, people think, oh, you're back open, like everything's done. But it's really taken nine 
months to a year. It took nine months to a year to agree on terms with all of our landlords. And we, just so you know, we're paying back a huge amount of that back rent. Right. It's not like they just forgave it. So one of the challenges now is that, um, and there are probably a lot of businesses in this situation where they are paying a lot of back rent. So their costs are up pretty mm-hmm. significantly. Right, right. Man, I like just can't even, what were you doing emotionally during that time to like handle being so out of your regular routine? I mean, listen, it was tough. Yeah. I was definitely trying to take care of myself and my own body. Something I started doing during the pandemic was um, I started doing Instagram live workouts. We were closed. Everyone was stuck at home. It was just a tough time. So that was one of the ways that I coped um, and also a way to continue to engage our community and just give something to people. So every day for, God, I think six months, I did Instagram live workouts and I got on there every single day. They were, you know, approximately 15 minutes. I had nothing to do. So sometimes they ran over. (laughs) Sometimes that's just how it went. Um, But that's something that I did that was a really great way to, it was just great to engage with people and um, give some focus Mm -hmm. in what was a very unfocused time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Just like the stress of that time for so many now, like looking back on it, it's, it's crazy to see where we are now versus where we were at this time, maybe a year, two, two years ago. Right. And how everything just switched on a dime really. So going back now to what's going on with New York Pilates these days, I know you recently opened a new location in Flatiron, which is super, super gorgeous. Congratulations on that. How does it feel to be on the other side of the pandemic now from the POV that your studios are open, new spaces opening? I mean, that's probably something, again, two years ago, you could only dream of. Well, I'll say that we took that flat iron lease immediately before the pandemic. Mm. And choosing to keep it was a tough and bold decision, but we decided to keep it and go ahead and continue and finish the construction. And I would say the biggest challenge of it is that we were so pared down as a team that getting that completed was really tough. Um, But I couldn't be happier to be really finally on the other side of that with the studio open. It is so beautiful. And I'm so proud of that space and of the work that we did there. And um, I'm so happy to be in in that neighborhood and building that new community there. I think after really what felt like such a battle to get to that point where we were open, where we are building community. It's really, it feels like a bit of a a calm after a very long storm. Yeah. How do you like working with your husband? Listen, I love Brian. He's amazing. It's really tough to work with your partner. Um, But I also think that it's been so amazing for us learning to communicate with each other. And, you know, people talk about this where they're like, oh, I could never work with my partner. But most people do actually work with their partner in so far as when you run a household, when you have a kid, those are 
those are times and places where you're going to need the kind of communication skills that are required to also run a business. And so that's something we've talked about a lot over the years is um, how how the journey that we've been through around communication, around roles, responsibilities, how how just how we work together, how um, that mirrors a lot of what's required in everyone's relationship. What would you say is one of maybe your best tips for any duo, whether it's in business or just maybe even friendships, relationships to accomplish that like better level of communication? I think the thing that's helped us the most is reading the same books at the same time and then talking about them. Oh, I love that. And, you know, both being entrepreneurs together and having different levels of experience coming into opening a business, using books. I I mean, this one's a classic. Everyone should read this. If you haven't, a book like Radical Candor that you read together and then you have a common language to talk about those concepts and then implement those concepts into your life. Um, and there are a lot of books like that that we've read together and then can use that as a common language and say, hey, what did you think about this? What did that mean to you? What what do you, like, how would you use that thing? Um, and then when you're in a challenging situation, you can use that language to sort of ground you in something that feels like a third party yeah. idea and not either one of you pushing an idea on the other person. Super interesting. I love that recommendation, reading the same books at the same time. So right now, someone comes to your Instagram, they see the founder of New York Pilates, and they also see that you've got something like 64,000 followers. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? You know, I just see myself and I don't see when I look in the mirror, I I just see me as a person. I see the person who woke up and my hair is messy and I need to wash my face. I see the list of things, my laundry list of things I want to get done that day. Right. I think it's really it's really interesting to look at. It's very easy to look at other people and assume how they think or feel or what their life might be like. But everyone's experience is just themselves in their own body, having their own experience. And when you wake up in the morning, if you need like a tea or a coffee and to brush your teeth and think about what you're going to do that day, definitely a beautiful life, but no I like absurd ideas of grandeur. <laughs> grandeur. I love this word. <laughs> I love this word for you. Who would you say, uh, who or what would you say inspires you? Mm. Um, well, someone I've looked up to so much over the years is Elizabeth Cutler and Julie Rice, both of them who are the um, SoulCycle founders. Mm-hmm. Um And I've been lucky enough to have a relationship with both of them. I know them through the studio and um, Elizabeth has advised us over the years. And um, that's actually an amazing story. She came to the original West Village studio, which no longer exists there, and took a class and left her phone number at the front desk and said, have Heather call me. And I literally, I lost it. I was like, what? This is amazing. So, so generous. Yeah. So, so generous. So kind. What happened when you called her? 
Um, she told me to move my studio right next to her house. <laughs> Why? What was the reasoning for that? <laughs> aside from the fact that she liked Pilates. Um, well, one is our original studio. I signed this lease, which we talked about before. The original location um, was definitely a starter home. Let's okay. call it that. Okay. Okay. It was definitely a starter home, but it was also, it was lower level. So she, when we got on the phone, she was like, listen, our first location was in a basement. You need to move this store. And I think you should move it onto this street in the West Village. And I was like, why there? And she was like, well, I do live around the corner. <laughs> it was a very funny conversation, but also like so incredibly validating for me, like at the very beginning of my business. I mean, what they did with SoulCycle for anyone who's in boutique fitness is the ultimate. There are you know, everything. They created a new category. Mm-hmm. Um, and just everything about their journey is so incredible. So definitely look up to the two of them so much for what they built. Um, little plug, they have a new venture that is opening right now called Peoplehood. Um, that is really about about interpersonal communication. Hmm. And they're two founders that they've been going to therapy together since the very beginning of their relationship as business partners. And um, I have found their business partnership very inspirational as well. Interesting. I have to look into that. Outside of the new location, what would you say excites you about your business at the moment? I think what excites me the most about my business now is definitely our teacher training program. During COVID, uh, one one of the other things I did is I completely moved what had been an in-person training program, overhauled the training program, and we put it completely online. And now it is a self-paced program where it's in a learning management system. There are two tracks, Matt Pilates certification and Reformer Pilates certification. Both of them come with anatomy training and anatomy for Pilates. And I spent the better part of 2021 recording these seminars for this training program. So I'm delivering a huge amount of the content. And then we also have other New York Pilates instructors delivering um, portions of the content that are teaching the exercises. And I'm so passionate about it because what was really challenging about certification and what you'll see in the marketplace is that you go for however many days the training is. Let's say it's, you know, 12 days over six weeks, right? You go and you spend eight hours, but you can only absorb so much new information, right? It's like studies show that after a half an hour, your brain kind of shuts off, right? So what I love, love, love about the format of the program is all of that dense content you can do for half an hour, take a break, come back to it. And you can move through all that content. I feel like you learn it so much better. And I'm just so excited about it. And um, I've been really happy with the teachers that have been coming out of our training program. And then we have what we call an apprenticeship, which is the in-person portion where you can come into the studio and do your practice hours on the machines. And then we have um, a weekly session where you can jump online with one of our mentors and ask any of your questions. You can workshop exercises. So there's that in-person 
portion as well. Um, but because the content is quite dense, it is so amazing to be able to really take your time and then be able to re-listen to something. If you're like, yo, where, where does my psoas attach to and from? <laughs> yeah. Right? You can go back to that video and you can rewatch it. And then there are quizzes all the way through to check for understanding. So you know if you get through one of these quizzes and you get all the questions wrong, you need to go back and watch that video again. So it's really, I'm so proud of it. So building that out and really seeing the results of it. And of course, we're going through and tweaking some things here and there, but really excited about that. And then really excited about running a cleaner, more organized business. I think through COVID, having to pare down so significantly, Brian and I had to upskill a lot in different areas in order to take on roles or jobs that we had delegated before. And I think by diving deeper into those skill sets, we're now much better managers of them. Interesting. I love that word upskill. Yes. I mean, upskilling can be really challenging, especially when you're used to being able to delegate, but also to your point can have a lot of benefits. What would you say the perhaps most difficult upskill that you've had to kind of get to terms with has been? Well, I would say um, upskilling in our financial department and really understanding that you either need a very talented CFO or you need to have your own financial vision for your company. Mm. And then for me personally, this is my longstanding uh, challenge that I'm always working on is um, managing people and holding them accountable specifically, holding people accountable um, in a way that is compassionate and non-emotional, but clear. Oh, clear communication. You can be kind but firm. Yes. I love that. I love that. Well, I'm so glad that we were able to sit down and chat today. Before I let you go, question for you. Right now, you have an opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice back when you first signed your first lease, knowing what you know now during that hurdle moment. What do you tell yourself? You know, when I've been asked this question in the past, I've said, start with more money. But actually, I think if I had understood the fullness of the challenge that I was, of the situation I was putting myself in, I don't think that I actually would have moved forward. And I, I do think that being naive in that way is the reason I moved forward and I have no regrets about that. But I would recommend making sure you have enough money. <laughs> but still. <laughs> Heather, I'm so excited that we were able to do this. Give us the info. How do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Tell us. You can follow me at Heather Anderson underscore at the end. P.S. My last name has an S-E-N. <laughs> Um, but you can also find us at New York Pilates, N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-P-I-L-A-T-E-S. You can find us at NewYorkPilates.com or you can find us inside the studios. Come and see us. Come and see us. I'm over at Emily Body and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>